From Number 5 Chambers, I'm Richard Kimblin, and this is The Planning Podcast. This week, we turn straight to the NPPF. Two cases from the Court of Appeal, the first on paragraph 11 and the presumption, the second on paragraph 90, retail policy, and what it means when we're told that something should be refused. Does it mean that the proposal should be refused? With Satnam Chung, Planning and Environmental Barrister at Number 5 Chambers, we take a quick look through those two cases. Hello and good afternoon to you there, Satnam. Good afternoon, Richard. Now, we're going to get stuck into two Court of Appeal cases which have started off 2021 for us, uh, both on the framework. And the first is in respect of a case called Paul Newman Holmes. And that case uh, deals with paragraph 11 as it now is uh, in the framework, which deals with the presumption and deals in particular with triggers. But it, it came to my attention in, in this way, because in that case, the Court of Appeal said, look, this version of the framework with its paragraph 11 is different to what we had in the previous version of the framework, which we had in 2012. And the court reiterated that it is not helpful to consider the language of earlier versions of the framework because it's different and deliberately so. And that fascinated me because I'm waiting for judgment from the Court of Appeal in another case about paragraph 11, where I was trying to tempt the Court of Appeal to the idea that the language of this version is different to the last one. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in that case. But Satnam, Tell us about this one. What does it tell us about triggers? I think the most interesting thing or useful thing about this case is that it's very, very focused on one paragraph, one paragraph only, and in fact, only a subset of that paragraph, and that is 11D. So it's not even concerned with 11D, uh, Roman numeral 1, and Roman numeral 2. It, it, it says nothing about those uh, matters. It's not interested in anything else that appears in paragraph 11. It is focused simply on the opening words of paragraph 11D and what it refers to as the two triggers before you apply the presumption in favour of sustainable development, the, the, the tilted balance, as it's called. It takes quite a black-letter law approach to it. It sort of breaks it down. And, and says, well, there are really only two triggers to get into the tilted balance. One is where there are no relevant development plan policies. And the second is where the policies which are most important for determining the application are out of date. Now, if we look at the second of those policies which are most important for determining the application are out of date, we know that that is subject to footnote seven, which is all to do with five-year housing land supply. And I've always sort of viewed that as almost like a deeming provision. If you can show no five-year housing land supply, you know that you've ticked the box of one of the triggers and you're into the tilted balance, subject, of course, to D, Roman numeral one. But this was a case where um, the inspector found that the council could demonstrate a five-year supply of housing land. So the case then becomes even more focused because the agreed position was that uh, in order to get into the tilted balance, you either have to show no relevant development plan policies 
uh, or you have to show that the policies which are most important for determining the application are out of date. And as you know, Richard, a, a lot of the debate in this case was about a particular policy in the uh, Ellsbury Vale plan, GP35. And, and rather unusually, uh, I think, uh, it seemed to be agreed that there were actually either no or very few other relevant policies in the plan uh, which had been saved. A very unusual situation in that um, the only potentially relevant policy was GP35. So not surprisingly, interest focused on GP35 at the inquiry with the developer arguing that policy GP35 was in fact not relevant because given that it was the only policy even potentially relevant, if they could knock that out, so to speak, they would have had the benefit of the first trigger. And why would that be, Satnam? Would that be because then there would be no policies? There would be no uh, relevant development plan policies. The route into the tilted balance was to knock out the one last remaining allegedly relevant policy, so you to get to no relevant policies uh, for the purposes of making this decision and thus get the tilted balance. And that's what the battle was over. Yeah, absolutely. That, that that was indeed what the battle was over. And, and that, that kind of shows that the case is quite unusual in itself, because when this phraseology first came out, I remember giving a talk on this and I said, well, it's going to be very difficult to find a case where there are no relevant development plan policies, because if there is a development plan, there is bound to be some policy in the plan which is going to be relevant. It may be a landscape policy, it may be a highways policy, a policy to do with access. There are, there are so many development control policies uh, in, in plans to do with design, etc. Unless you're in a local planning authority where they don't have a development plan at all, it was going to be very difficult for anyone to get into that first trigger. But this case is interesting because it shows that such situations can arise. And I think in Ellsbury, the, the reason that the situation arose was, well, in fact, for two reasons. One, that they don't have an up-to-date plan and a huge number of their previous policies have not been saved. But secondly, and more importantly, I think the developer focused on the fact that this was an outline application. And therefore, it could make the argument that many of the other policies, and of course, they made the same argument about GP35, and we'll come on to that, but they were able to successfully make the argument in respect of all of the other policies that because this was an outline application, many of the other policies were not relevant. So if you had policies which were specifically dealing with design, or matters of that sort, um, let's even say access, if access is reserved, you're able to argue, aren't you? Well, all of those policies are not relevant. Mm. So in a way, my my initial view has changed to some extent, where I was initially very pessimistic about showing no relevant development plan policies. But now I think, well, possibly it is easier if you divide up your analysis between what is relevant to a detailed application and what is relevant to an outline application. So you can have cases such as this one, they may well be rare, I suspect they will be, where once you've taken away all the policies which are relevant only to a detailed determination, there may not actually be that many policies which are relevant to an outline application. I see from the judgment that the developer was unsuccessful in that argument because the inspector was against them, saying it was relevant, and that both at first instance in the planning court and on appeal to the Court of Appeal, we end up with a familiar friend. 
the question of whether it is relevant and how important it was to the determination of the application and consideration is quintessentially a matter of planning judgment. So did the courts avail the developer? No, the developer lost for the most part. The writing was on the wall, really, right from the outset. When you have a judgment which starts with the sentence, uh, the central issue on this appeal is whether an experienced planning inspector and a specialist planning judge, Sir Duncan Usley, correctly interpreted paragraph 11D of the 2018 version of the, the NPPF. You don't really have to wait to the end of the judgment to, to find out who, 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 who won, Richard. The direction of travel was fairly clearly signalled early on, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So as far as policy GP35 was concerned, the developer's argument in a, in a nutshell was, well, this has nothing to do with the principle of the development. This is a detailed development control type policy. And you would have thought that they were on firm ground on that, given that the policy starts with the words, the design of new development proposals should respect and complement. But, but I'm afraid that availed them little. The inspector decided that the policy was expressed in language which is broad enough to capture the principle of development as well as the details of development uh, and that it was relevant to look at such things as whether the proposal would uh, respect and complement the natural qualities and features of the area, whether it would uh, respect and complement important public views and skylines, and that this this was a relevant policy. And she secondly decided when it was both relevant and that it was up to date uh, because she said it was consistent with the MPPF. And therefore, um, much of the developers' arguments in the Court of Appeal were, were taken away from them because, as the Court of Appeal found, once you decide that a policy is relevant, which they said was a matter of planning judgment for the inspector, and you decide that it is uh, up-to-date because it's consistent with the framework, they, they could no longer avail themselves of the first trigger. Well, Satnam, there we have it. Thank you very much for taking us through a, an interesting example of an attempted route into the tilted balance and some really quite important points which come out of that Court of Appeal case. But let's now turn to a second Court of Appeal case in which the Secretary of State didn't figure directly. This isn't concerned with an appeal. It's This is the case of uh, Asda Stores, who were challenging Leeds City Council uh, in respect of a decision made by the City Council. And as the name of the case suggests, this is about retail policy. But again, we're back with the framework. In this instance, uh, we're concerned with paragraph 90 of the framework and a question of what that policy means. Paragraph 90 is pretty straightforward, where an application fails to satisfy the sequential test or is likely to have significant adverse impact on one or more of the considerations in paragraph 89, it should be refused. Satnam, what happens when you have a policy which says at the end, it should be refused? Is that a presumption that that's what's going to happen? Well, not uh, according to the Court of Appeal. No. As the turned up to the, to the High Court and the Court of Appeal and said, we have a store within the town centre. Here was a proposal for an edge of centre site. It had to go through the sequential test and demonstrate that it complied with the sequential test. It also had to go through the impact test about vitality and viability. The agreed position was 
uh, that he didn't pass either of those tests. That's what the officers found, and the officers off the back of that said he uh, was in conflict with national policy, uh, and they recommended refusal. But the members decided to grant planning permission, and Asda argued that paragraph 90 should do what it says on the 10. If it says it should be refused, that is precisely what should happen. It should have been refused. And the Court of Appeal said, no, that's not what it means. And interestingly, even though the Secretary of State was not directly involved in this case, because it was a challenge to a decision, a uh, grant of planning permission given by a local planning authority, that the Secretary of State was asked to uh, participate and uh, make his views known on how paragraph 90 uh, should be interpreted. And he made written submissions saying should be refused was not mandatory. It was not mandatory. It should not be read to mean it must be refused. All the language meant was that absent any other material considerations, a breach of the sequential test of the impact test provided a basis for refusal. That's all. He provided a basis for refusal in the absence of other material considerations. So it was not mandatory. So that, broadly speaking, was the view taken by the Court of Appeal. Mm. So it should be refused doesn't actually mean that it has to be refused. No. I mean, interestingly, that the way in which the appellant structured its arguments was all around the word presumption. Now, as a result of my own experience in front of the Court of Appeal in the Barwood case... That's the East Staffs Barwood, isn't it? That, yeah. That's right. That, mm. um, that they're not too keen on the word presumption, and they're very, very careful about introducing presumptions into the framework, uh, unless there's a very, very clear language to support the idea that there is some form of presumption. And I think the way that ASDA were structuring their argument was that given the absolute terms in which paragraph 90 is written, it in effect creates a presumption against the grant or planning permission if, if, if a proposal is contrary to paragraph 90. So that when one does a planning balancing exercise, which I don't think the appellant could, could, could deny has to be carried out, they were arguing that you start with a, some sort of presumption, some sort of weighted presumption against the grant of planning permission. And the Court of Appeal was having none of that because they said there's no reference to presumption in paragraph 90. Yes, the language is what it is, but if you make your way through the uh, MPPF, there are all sorts of approaches and phraseology used to communicate something would be contrary to policy and what should happen. And they said it would be a nightmare to look at all of that and decide when a presumption appeared and when a presumption didn't appear. And that unless there was something in policy which specifically directed the decision maker to give particular weight to a particular matter, the matter of weight was for the decision maker. Now that is something we've heard many times before, isn't it Richard? Well, there we go. Back to for the decision maker, for them to decide. Satnam, thank you very much. You've helped me a lot. I'm sure that you've helped everybody else a lot and all in less than 20 minutes. So thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon, uh, so far as that's ever possible during the course of the lockdown. And I hope that we can do something like this again soon. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. That was the planning podcast. Next week, we'll revisit the framework because as I indicated at the outset, 
there's more on the way in terms of paragraph 11 and the way in which the tilted balance works or it doesn't work. So next week, more cases from the Court of Appeal and lots more about the presumption. <laughs>